Welcome to the Salem Alliance Church Podcast. To learn more about Salem Alliance, including life groups, gathering times, and other resources, visit us online at salemalliance.org. Today's talk is given by a guest speaker. Again, Salem Alliance, and welcome to those of you who are joining us on live stream. So good to be with you this morning. My name is Anya Holcomb, and I am pastor of Refugee Ministries, along with my husband, Doug, who you met there in the video. And the International Prayer Gathering is one of the ministries that we get to lead. And Doug is right. It truly is a little taste of heaven every week. So we invite you to come join us any Sunday afternoon, and we are looking for more people to come and serve with us at the International Prayer Gathering, particularly with kids' ministry and with transportation, driving the vans and buses that help people get there. So if you're interested in that, you can email Doug. His email is up on the screen. Or come talk to one of us. We'll be up here at the front at the end of the service. Last weekend was a really special weekend here at Salem Alliance. It was something we call Vision 360, where we get to look back at what God has done in our community over the past year, and then look ahead to the vision that he's giving us for this coming year. If you did not have a chance to grab one of these annual reports last week, I encourage you to grab one in the lobby today. This isn't your typical boring report. This is full of photos and stories of God at work in and through this community. The other thing that we got to do last weekend was elections, where we voted on new board members, new elders, and nominating committee members. And I'm excited to let you know that everyone that was on the ballot was elected, and we are really grateful for these folks who are going to be stepping into these leadership positions in our church community. So, today we get to begin a new sermon series on the book of Ephesians. It's very creatively titled, The Book of Ephesians. And as we do, I want us to think about what it means to have a revelation. A revelation is when a new reality is uncovered and afterwards it changes how you see everything. Doug and I had a revelation when our first baby, Micah, was born. Here's something that Doug wrote when Micah was six days old. It's titled, New Dictionary. Success equals eight wet diapers in 24 hours. Water feature equals not getting the diaper on fast enough between changes. Alarm clock equals screaming baby. Date equals trip to Target. Shopping spree equals buying 492 diapers and 1,500 wipes. Tired equals five hours of sleep in 48 hours. And joy equals looking into my baby's face and marveling at how such a small person could make my life so much more full and rich. Micah's birth uncovered a new reality for us. It changed how we saw everything. I'm sure any of you who've had a baby before can probably relate to this. The book of Ephesians is inviting us to both comprehend and respond to the most important revelation in all of history, which is the life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus, and God's eternal purpose to unify everything in heaven and on earth under him. 
Ephesians focuses on God's plan to have a huge multi-ethnic family of restored human beings, both Jews and Gentiles, who are unified in Jesus the Messiah. As a church, our vision is a city at peace with God. And this revelation from the book of Ephesians can help us understand what true peace, true shalom, and wholeness looks like, both in our relationship with God and in our relationships with each other. Ephesians divides it out really nicely for us. There are six chapters, and chapters one to three are focused on comprehending the revelation, so taking it into our minds and into our hearts. And then chapters four to six are focused on responding to the revelation, so looking at practical ways that we live it out. We're excited to dive into the series and see what God has to teach us. As we begin, the first two verses in Ephesians give us some important background to the book. So please pull out your Bibles, grab a Bible from the pew in front of you, or open the Bible app on your phone. It's going to really help if you can follow along as we go. So starting in verse 1, this letter is from Paul, chosen by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus. I'm writing to God's holy people in Ephesus who are faithful followers of Christ Jesus. May God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. So we learn right off that the book of Ephesians is written by Paul. Paul was raised as a devout Jew, and until about halfway through his life, he persecuted people in the new Christian movement until he himself had a dramatic encounter with Jesus that convinced him that Jesus actually was the promised Messiah. He then spent the rest of his life as a missionary and as a church planter with a special focus on reaching the Gentiles and non-Jews with the gospel. He was arrested several times for spreading the Christian message, and a Ephesians is one of the letters that he wrote while he was in prison. Next thing we learn is that this letter is written to God's holy people in Ephesus. Now, Ephesus was a really large, really influential port city. It was a cultural hub. It was a religious hub. It was full of pagan influences. And Paul spent two years in Ephesus. He planted multiple churches there. It's actually the longest time he spent in any city during his missionary journeys. But the interesting thing about this letter is that some of the ancient manuscripts have a blank space where it says in Ephesus. So it would read to the saints who are in blank in wherever. This letter also doesn't have any personal greetings to specific people, and it doesn't address any specific problems in particular churches the way that Paul's other letters do. So these clues indicate that this letter was likely meant to be circulated to many churches in Asia, including Ephesus, because it had truths that Paul wanted to communicate to all of the churches. So that gives us some backdrop on the whole letter. Now, as we dive into chapter 1, verses 3 to 14, I want us to try to read it through the lens of a first century follower of Jesus. And here's some insights to help us do that. First of all, we need to remember that Paul was a devout Jew. He had been trained under Jewish rabbis since his childhood. He knew the Hebrew scriptures backwards and forwards. And so the language and the themes of the Old Testament are infused throughout his writings. Second, I want you to look in your Bibles now. Start in verse 3 and then look all the way down to verse 14. 
In the Greek language, this is all one sentence. There are no periods. So this is meant to be taken as a collective thought, not parsed up into individual separated thoughts. Next, verses 3 to 14 are written in a Greek literary form as a poem. It's actually a poem of praise. So Paul isn't trying to just engage our minds here. He's trying to move our hearts in the way that poetry does. And finally, last insight I have for us is that every single you in the book of Ephesians should be read as you all. So in English, we have one word for you that can be both singular and plural, unless you happen to be from the South, and y'all is a regular part of your vocabulary. But in Greek, there are two separate words for you singular and you plural. And in Ephesians, Paul uses you plural, which is really important to remember for what he's trying to communicate. So with these things in mind, let's read verses 3 to 14, and I want you to picture yourself as a first century reader and just try to let these words soak into your heart. All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ. Even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. So we praise God for the glorious grace he has poured out on us who belong to his dear son. He is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and forgave our sins. He has showered his kindness on us along with all wisdom and understanding. God has now revealed to us his mysterious will regarding Christ, which is to fulfill his own good plan. And this is the plan. At the right time, he will bring everything together under the authority of Christ, everything in heaven and on earth. Furthermore, because we are united with Christ, we have received an inheritance from God, for he chose us in advance, and he makes everything work out according to his plan. God's purpose was that we Jews, who were the first to trust in Christ, would bring praise and glory to God. And now you Gentiles have also heard the truth, the good news that God saves you all. And when you all believed in Christ, he identified you all as his own by giving you all the Holy Spirit, whom he promised long ago. The Spirit is God's guarantee that he will give us the inheritance he promised and that he has purchased us to be his own people. He did this so we would praise and glorify him. This is the word of God. So Paul begins the poem with this statement that God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ. It's important to note here that spiritual blessing in the Greek doesn't mean that the blessing is non-physical. Instead, it's referring to the source of the blessing as something that comes from the Spirit of God. So a more accurate way to understand it would be spirit-given blessing. 
And then in looking at the way the word bless or blessing is used all throughout the New Testament, a pretty good biblical definition of blessing would be anything God gives that makes us fully satisfied in him. Anything God gives that makes us fully satisfied in him. So you'll notice that blessing isn't about getting good things. It isn't about experiencing happiness. It's about receiving God's favor regardless of the circumstances. So after the statement about spiritual blessings, the poem goes on to name the many blessings that we have been given through God's spirit. God loved us. He chose us. He adopted us into his family. He poured out glorious grace on us. He purchased our freedom. He forgave our sins. He showered us with kindness, wisdom, and understanding. He gave us the hope of a future inheritance. He gave us the presence of Holy Spirit. Amazing. Just unbelievable blessings. I wish we had time this morning to just reflect and soak in each one of these. We could literally have an entire sermon series just on this poem. But in order to unpack the overall meaning of the blessings in this poem, we need to go back to our context and remember that Paul infused the language and the themes of the Old Testament into his writing. And so the key words of this poem actually trace the concept of blessing through the Hebrew scriptures. So we are going to step into the classroom for a minute, and we're going to look at blessing through the arc of scripture. This is going to be really fun. Are you guys ready for this? All right. So at the beginning of Genesis, God makes humanity in his image. And immediately after he creates humans, what does he do? He blesses them. He blesses them and he commissions them to be fruitful and multiply and to take responsibility over creation. And we see right here from the beginning that when God gives blessing, it's never intended to stop with the receiver of the blessing. His purpose is always for the blessing to extend from the receiver outward in order to bring blessing to the world. Well, the good times last for about two pages, and then it all goes downhill from there. Humans choose to forfeit God's blessing through their sin and through their rebellion, and humanity does multiply, but what they fill the earth with is violence and blood. And yet, God's ultimate long-term purpose is to continue to find a way to bless them. So what he does now is he chooses one person, Abraham, and he decides that Abraham's family will inherit the blessing that was given to humanity at the beginning. And God blesses Abraham. He blesses Abraham and he says he will make him into a great nation and that all families on earth will be blessed through him. So God chooses one out of the many so that through the one, he can restore blessing back to the many. As we go on in the story, Abraham's family becomes the family of Israel. Israel experiences God's blessing and they are now commissioned to represent God to the nations. But how do they do at becoming a blessing to the nations? 
Well, they are inconsistent at best, and at worst, which is most of the time, they actually bring down curse, curse, curse and death upon themselves and their neighbors. They bring the opposite of blessing. So now we have two layers going on here. We have a humanity that brings down death and curse and destruction on itself. So God launches a plan to continue to bless humanity through the family of Israel. But then the vehicle of the plan itself becomes enmeshed in the problem. So now we have a double problem that has to be solved. As we continue in the storyline of the Old Testament, what God first called humanity to do and then called Abraham and the family of Israel to do ends up becoming focused on one hoped-for figure, the Messiah. Messiah is a Hebrew word for an anointed king that will come from the family line of David. And the Psalms and the prophets in the Old Testament tell us that all nations will be blessed through this king. And that they, all nations, will call him the blessed one. So this Messiah is not only going to redeem the story of Israel, but he's also the one who will finally get all of humanity's story back on track. And now Jesus comes onto the scene, born of the line of David, proclaimed by the angels to be the Savior, the Lord, the Messiah, who brings peace on earth, goodwill to men. And in the gospel story, when Jesus is baptized, the Spirit of God settles on him and says, this is my dearly loved son who brings me great joy. This is the one that God has chosen. And his love is with the chosen one. His favor, his blessing is with the chosen one. And through this chosen Messiah in his life, his death, his resurrection, and the pouring out of his spirit, the blessing to Israel is restored and then extended to all of the nations. So in light of this whole biblical story, the key to the spirit-given blessings in the Ephesians poem is now clear. Let's reread the first verse of the poem, verse 3. All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ. Christ is the blessed one, and Christ is the vehicle of blessing. So, being united with Christ, or being in Christ, as it's translated in other versions, is the key to the Spirit-given blessings. The phrases with him, in him, and through him are repeated phrases throughout this poem. So the blessings poured out by the Spirit of God are in, with, and through the Messiah. He is the blessed one. He is the loved one. And he is the chosen one. And when we are in Christ, the things that are true of him become true of us. This is super important. I'm going to say it again. When we are in Christ, the things that are true of him become true of us. We are blessed, loved, and chosen because Christ is blessed, loved, 
and chosen. And when we are in him, the spirit-given blessings are innately, they are naturally and automatically ours. So we have this truth that when we are in Christ, the things that are true of him become true of us. But what do we do with this truth? What does it actually mean to be in Christ? Well, I'm not going to even attempt to claim that I can spell it out simply or somehow capture all that it means to be in Christ. It's something that comes from the action of God and the mystery of faith. But I do want to try to paint a picture using an illustration that Paul himself uses in the Ephesians poem, an illustration of adoption. Adoption is something that's really important to me personally. My birth dad died when I was a baby, and my mom remarried, and my dad officially adopted me when I was two years old. And I remember my parents always talking to me about how special it was that I was adopted because it meant that my dad chose me. He wanted me to be his daughter. Then fast forward to five years ago when Doug and I brought home our now five-year-old adopted daughter, Cherish. And I will never forget the day that her adoption was finalized and we got the paperwork that was signed by the judge. And it said, Cherish shall, to all legal intents and purposes, be the child of Douglas Holcomb and Anya Holcomb, as if born to them. We were literally given a new birth certificate with our names listed on it as her birth parents. So using this adoption illustration, here are four key concepts that help to paint a picture of what it looks like to be in Christ. I've got four E's for us to try and help us remember. So the first E is this, we enter into Christ. We enter into Christ Paul speaks really clearly about how you get into Christ at the end of the Ephesians poem in verse 13. He says, And now you Gentiles have also heard the truth, the good news that God saves you all. And when you all believed in Christ, he identified you all as his own by giving you all the Holy Spirit, whom he promised long ago. So here it is. They heard the good news. They believed in Christ, and he gave them the Holy Spirit. When you confess and believe that Jesus is the Son of God who was sent to the world to die on the cross for our sin and our rebellion and make us right with God, you are identified as his. The adoption papers, they are signed and sealed. A new birth certificate is issued, and you enter into Christ. And the blessings of Holy Spirit are poured out on you. Grace, freedom, forgiveness of sins, the promise of a future inheritance. When Doug and I made a will a long time ago, we willed everything that we had to the kids we had at the time and to any future children. So literally the moment that Cherish's adoption was finalized, she was in our will. She had an inheritance. It was a done deal. If you haven't yet made this commitment, I'd love to invite you to enter into Christ today. You can come to the cross at the end of the service, and we would love to pray with you. Next, our second E, we engage as children. We engage as children. 
So there's this initial belief and entry into Christ, but that's just the beginning. Just like the signed adoption papers, they signify the beginning of a whole new life ahead. And then begins the journey of living in Christ, of engaging as adopted sons and daughters of the King. This involves becoming secure in the love of our Father, of spending time with Him, of trusting that He knows what's best for us, of listening to His voice, of walking in step with the Spirit, of obeying the things He asks us to do, of experiencing rest, experiencing peace in His arms. Cherish is most definitely a daddy's girl, and the other day I was sitting in the car watching as Doug picked her up after school. She looked up and saw him and jumped up and yelled, Daddy, with just this look of pure joy and delight on her face. She gave him a hug and grabbed his hand, showing how secure she is as his girl. And friends, in the same way, we get to live as adopted sons and daughters of the King. We get to find our full identity, our full security as his children. And this involves spending time in his presence. I'd like to invite us to make a habit of spending time with him each day, to be still, to be present to our Father who is always present to us. And this can look a lot of different ways, but if you need some help or guidance, a place to start, a great app is Lectio 360, and it has guided prayer and reflection for every morning and night. Next, our third E, when we are living in Christ, we embrace the family. We embrace the family. Remember that the pronouns used throughout the Ephesians poem are we, us, and you all. There are no singular pronouns, only plural. And there is nothing individualistic about living in Christ. It's something that we do together as a family. We are in Christ together with a whole big family that was once estranged from God and divided from each other and is now reconciled to God and to one another in the Messiah. And not everyone in the family looks like us or acts like us or thinks like us, and they might drive us crazy sometimes, but none of those differences can keep us divided when we are united under Christ. Cherish and her younger brother, Benji, are about as different as two kids could possibly be in how they look, in their personalities, in their opinions, and they most definitely do not get along all the time, but they are family. He calls her sissy, she calls him brothy, and they look out for each other. They rejoice with each other, they cry with each other, which is really fun when they both get going at the same time. But when they are experiencing love and gifts from Doug and I, their collective joy, it increases our joy. Friends, we need to be in community with other believers as we live in Christ. This isn't just something that's optional, it's essential. And it's more than just coming to a one-hour service on the weekend. We need to know others and be known and walk this journey in Christ together. If you're not yet in a life group at Salem Alliance, I invite you to go to the life groups page on the website or talk with one of our group's pastors and get connected in community. And finally, our fourth E, when we are living in Christ, we extend the blessing. 
we extend the blessing. I'm going to remind us again, when we are in Christ, the things that are true of him become true of us. He is blessed, and therefore, we are blessed. He is the vehicle of blessing to the world, and therefore, we are the vehicle of blessing to the world. Extending the blessing becomes just a core part of who we are in him. Remember from the beginning that when God gives blessing, it's never supposed to stop with the receiver of the blessing. It's always meant to extend out from the receiver to the world. Once you're adopted by the Father, you take on his name. You become known as his kid. You become like him. You take on his attributes and you represent him wherever you go. I always love it when people who don't know that I am adopted say that my dad and I have similarities based on our genetics. One of the things that I love about my dad is his can-do, get-it-done spirit, especially when it involves meeting the needs of people who are marginalized or hurting. So the elderly widow who needs a new roof on her house, he's going to gather friends and supplies and make it happen. Or the refugee who needs land to start a farm, he's going to donate part of his backyard. And this became embedded in me as his daughter, and so much of who I am today and the ministry I'm called to working with refugees is an extension of the heart of my dad. Friends, living in Christ means that we become like him and we extend his heart into the world. Like we've been talking about in our last series, we get to be the peace, the power, and the presence of Jesus wherever we go. And we actually have authority to represent him because we are in him. There's so many ways that we get to do this together as a church family. And if you're not already involved, I encourage you to jump in in some way. Check out the initiative, Love the City. Ash told us about it last week, and it's where you can apply for a grant from Salem Alliance to bless your neighbors. So I'd like to invite the worship team to come back up. We're going to close with one last song in just a minute. But as we close, let me remind us one more time of this incredible truth. When we are in Christ... The things that are true of him become true of us. And the blessings of God's spirit are ours in abundance. What an amazing, what a beautiful mystery that we get to live in Christ. So we're going to sing one last song. It's one of my favorites. It's called In Christ Alone. And as we do, would you stand with me and let's proclaim this truth together that the fullness of life, the fullness of hope, the fullness of blessing are found only in him. And if you haven't yet entered into Christ, I invite you to come to the cross during this song or at the end of the service and we'd love to pray with you. So let's worship together. Thanks for listening to the Salem Alliance podcast. We hope you have been challenged and inspired. Salem Alliance is a community of believers located in downtown Salem, Oregon, and we are passionate about our city being a city at peace with God. To experience other messages and discover more about who we are, please visit salemalliance.org or download the Salem Alliance app. And again, thanks for listening.